This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. I don't know about you, but for me, when days seem to be increasing in its hardship, confusion, frustration, uh, and it doesn't seem like there's an end in sight, uh, my faith can take a hit. And there are times when I get so discouraged. Uh, there's times when it seems as though these days will never end that I need to look to a, a, a mentor, someone who has lived before me, perhaps even another generation before me that has kept the faith that has continued to believe when it was hard, when the world uh, seemed as though it was falling apart as well. I need examples to imitate my life after, to be able to be encouraged by, inspired by, to get, in order to keep the faith. Uh, as Tom said, we're starting this new series today and, and we're taking this uh, spiritual discipline of prayer. And we know that God has given his people certain practices that will build into our lives a steadfastness, a strength, an endurance of our faith. And one of those is prayer. I wanna to talk to you about someone who has lived before us in a challenging time that was devoted to prayer. Now, many of you probably know who he is. And if you don't, let me just tell you a little bit about him. He was born a free man and then taken as a slave to another country, a land that was foreign to him. And there as a slave, he was taken to the courts of the rulers. And there he lived as a slave for the rest of his life in a culture that was against his culture, that was foreign and had set up rules and laws that were against him. And he had to figure out what he was going to do as the system seemed to be oppressive to who he was and who God called him to be. In fact, there were some that were rulers in the day that he was a slave that really hated him. They were part of the majority culture and they despised him. They looked at his life and, and saw that he was a God-fearing man and knew that there wasn't really a way that they were gonna see him as a criminal, catch him. So they actually created some laws that were set up against him so that he would become a criminal. And they convinced the ruling, the governing authorities to accept these new ruling bodies of laws in hopes that they would catch him and then convict him. And then the sentence of his conviction would ultimately bring upon his death. Do you know who I'm talking about yet? It's this man named Daniel. Daniel was born a free man in Israel and was taken captive as a slave to a foreign country called Babylon. And there Daniel served in a kingdom with several different rulers in his lifetime. The instance that I'm talking about happens in the book of Daniel found in your Old Testament in chapter six, when he was serving under a king named Darius. And the rulers, the governing of bodies of people really hated Daniel. And they wanted to catch him doing something that they could convict him and put him to death. And so they went after his practice of prayer. They knew that Daniel was a devout man and prayed three times a day. Daniel, in fact, would pray visibly three times a day, facing Jerusalem. And there they created a law with King Darius's approval that anyone who would pray to anyone besides King Darius or praise anyone besides King Darius would be convicted of this new crime and their sentence would be death. And in lieu of the, the new law going out, Daniel was fervent in prayer 
And three times a day, in visible protest of the king's orders, Daniel prayed. Now, here's the question. Why? Like, why pray? Why, why bother with it? I mean, if you know this could potentially cost you your life, why pray? I mean, does it really do anything? Perhaps even for the, the modern Christian, you would say, I mean, there's no real power in, in prayer. I mean, we should do other things. If we're going to change the way our world is, we, should, we shouldn't be praying. We should invest time in occupying positions of power. I mean, is there really any power in prayer? It seems like all the power exists with the governors and the mayors, our town officials, trustees, even presidents, senators, congressmen, congresswomen. That seems like those are the people with the real power. And if we're going to spend our time doing anything, we should try to occupy those seats of power. But Daniel knew this. He knew that the ultimate power was in his Lord, was in God himself. See, there, there's something that Daniel knew about who God is that informed his prayer life so that he was devoted, dependent, and saturated in prayer that he would not stop praying, even if it cost him his life. There's something he knew about God and the source of the one he prayed to that perhaps we as Christians have forgotten. And so I want to I enlighten you just a little bit, show you just a little bit from the scriptures of what maybe did Daniel know about God that kept him praying, even though it would potentially cost him his life. I want to show you who this God is and perhaps motivate you to pray, to seek his face, to be devoted to prayer, have a life saturated in prayer. From the Psalms, we're going to Psalm chapter 2 today. The Psalms have been called the prayer book of the Bible. Before the prayer book really gets going in Psalm 3 till its end, the first couple of Psalms set the framework of who we are and who we're praying to kind of an introduction, and then you start hearing the people's prayers. And so let's go to Psalm chapter 2. It's 12 verses, and I just want to read it with you. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 2 helps us understand what Daniel knew. Is that behind the kings, behind the rulers, behind the authority figures of our world, stands a greater authority, the greatest authority. 
There is a God above the little G gods. There is a king behind the kings. There's a greater king that is upholding the kings, that stands fast behind the kings. There is a God who all the kings of the earth, all the rulers on the earth, everyone on the earth with authority will ultimately be held accountable to. This is the God of Daniel. So Daniel knows that Darius isn't the ultimate source of power that God is. God is Darius's king. Deuteronomy tells us, for the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He is the king behind the kings. He is the great king. Daniel knows this. And so Daniel is motivated to petition the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who sits and has all authority on heaven and on earth. That's why Daniel is motivated to pray. Perhaps we have just lost sight of who God is. See, once you know who hears your prayers, then perhaps we're motivated to pray like Daniel. It's one thing if maybe a friend asks us, what, what can we pray for? But, but imagine if someone in, in real positions of authority or influence asked you what your needs were. What could they do for you? Someone in a position like a, a president or a senator or a governor, what, what laws could I change for you? What could I do for your family? What resources do you need? Would you be motivated then to ask? Would you be then motivated to seek their face? Yes. Why? What changed? Because you know who you're praying. Who's, is, who is receiving your requests? And so Daniel knows that he petitions the Lord of Lords, the God of gods, Darius's authority. And what Daniel knows is this, that a prayerless life is really a powerless life. A prayerless life becomes a powerless life. That Daniel is connected to God, the supreme power, the creator of the heavens and the earth. In fact, we know even more than Daniel knew at the time. Here in Psalm chapter two, it says that this God of gods, the one who holds all nations, rulers, governors, kings accountable, he has an anointed one. And he's going to send an anointed one to be the judge of all things. And we know who that anointed one is. Anointed here is the word for Messiah or the New Testament Greek, we get Christ. Here he says that he has an anointed one, a Messiah, a Christ, that he is going to send into the world. This is where Isaiah picks up and tells us who is the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, who is God's son. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That is the anointed one. His name is Jesus. And Jesus was sent into the world as the king. The king has come. The anointed one from the Father has come into the world. Now it's not good news to know that the King has come until you know the King has come to die for his rebellious subjects. 
And that's exactly why Jesus has come. The apostle John tells us that Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world, to bring the world into life, to forgive the world of her sins. And so here in Psalm 2, it says, the king's of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Messiah, his anointed, the Christ, against his son, Jesus. The world is enemies of God, but it's the Christian who has come to realize that Christ has come to die for his enemies. And we were once enemies. We were those who had said, as in Psalm 2, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away the cords from us. What does that mean? That that God's rule on our life is like chains. It feels like chains and we hate God. We hate his rule. We hate his governance. We're trying to cast it off. And the Christian says, I I used to be there. In my heart, I, I was against God. But I've come to recognize who he is to know his anointed one, his sent one, who has come on a rescue mission, not to condemn me, but to save me. And so we've turned into the Lord and his anointed. We as enemies of God have turned in and said, would you save us? And his anointed, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords has come to die for his enemies, to bring those who were far off into his family, to change us from being enemies to being called his friends, a place of belonging and transition from the kingdom of darkness and death into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so the first thing that Daniel knows that that Psalm 2 teaches us is that behind King Darius is God. Behind this king is the king of kings. Behind this ruler is the ruler of rulers. And Daniel will not break meeting with him because he knows who he is. The second thing that Psalm 2 teaches us is not only that he is the king of kings, but this good king will bring right and fitting justice. Is our world longing for justice right now? Absolutely. Where will ultimate justice be found that we all want? It'll be found in God, in his anointed, in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so go back to Psalm 2, verse 9. It says, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. That's language of judgment. The rod of iron is judgment. That neighboring countries like Egypt, you should take the pottery of conquered kingdoms, even with their names on it, and smash them to pieces as a symbol of bringing their their rule over them. And here this language is taken to to be of Jesus' right and fitting justice, to remove inequalities, to remove wickedness and evil, all the things that divide us and harm us, that he will bring right and fitting justice. All the nations, kings and rulers will be held accountable to him. He will execute justice perfectly. And he's chosen this to do it through his son, his anointed. John tells us, that the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. The Psalm tells us this is his throne, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with equity. There's no favoritism. There's no inside track. It's justice for all. That he's the only one that can execute this perfect justice. Acts 17 
31 tells us, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man, this is anointed, whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. See, when we think about justice, we often think of justice for them and mercy for us. But perfect, righteous justice is on everything. Everything has to be judged. That means what's on the inside and hidden has to be brought to the light and evaluated. What has been done in secret must be exposed. What has been done to one another, whether I was the perpetrator or if I was the one perpetrated against, must be rightly judged. And only God sees that accurately. Daniel knows this about God that Darius isn't his ultimate judge. These laws that they have made are not the ultimate law. It is God and his law that is perfect. And so he entrusts himself by prayer, petitioning God, not only as the king of kings, but the one who will execute for him perfect justice. Judgment of the world will be done by God and him alone. It will not be accomplished by angels or any other creatures. Scripture reveals to us that it's God's son who will bring the ultimate judge of humanity. He has the qualifications to be the righteous judge. And so we want to be found right in his eyes. And that's the crux of the problem. No one is right. All have sinned. I'm in the same boat. And so what do we do if justice is coming and all will be judged? Praise the Lord, but I'm in the boat who will be judged as well. Well, Psalm 2 tells us, kiss the son. What does that mean? He's believe in the son. Love the son. Kiss the son lest he be angry with you. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is what he's warning them of. Kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, that you want to know his anointed. You want to be found in him, forgiven by him. That's the work of Jesus Christ. That none of us have lived this life that we should have lived. And we all deserve to die the death that Jesus died. But he does that to take our consequences, take our sin upon him, so that all who would kiss the son, believe in the son, love the son and be found in him would be forgiven. That is life in the son. There is no other way. The scriptures tell us there is no other name given to men under heaven by which we are saved. It is the name of God's anointed, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. His name is Jesus. And so we are called to love the Son, believe in the Son, follow the Son. You know what's great about that? Is the invitation is to come and abide in Him. The God of God, the King of Kings, the one who will bring and execute perfect justice, invites us to commune with Him through prayer, to ask and seek and knock He gives us pictures of if if, if earthly fathers who are evil in their heart know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father give you good gifts and provide for your needs? Jesus demonstrated for us what a life of saturated, devoted prayer in the father looks like. Jesus would wake up early and pray. After a long days of ministry and work, he would retreat from the crowds to lonely places and pray. It's recorded that he prayed at his baptism. He prays on the cross. He prays in his grief in the garden of Gethsemane. What does it teach us? That Jesus himself was dependent, devoted on prayer. Why? It's because Jesus knew the father. 
We'll just hit pause and pick up in just one second. Yeah, we can pick it up. All right, I'll start with ask, seek, knock. Does that sound good? All right. And so we're invited to come in and ask, seek, knock. We're invited to bring our requests before him. The scriptures teach us that, that if... if Fathers on earth who are corrupt in their heart even know how to give good gifts to their children. Surely our heavenly father who loves us knows how to give better gifts, to love his children better, to know their needs and their requests. These are the things that we're invited into to petition our God. The scriptures tell us that we should cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. This is what Daniel knew. This is what Darius learned. This is what I hope you will come to know. Who is our God? It's amazing at the end of chapter six of Daniel, after he's been convicted of a crime, after he's been put in the den of lions for an evening, Darius runs over there in the morning, removes the stone and, and cries out, Daniel, did your God answer your prayers? And Daniel says, yes, he has preserved my life. No harm has come to me. And they bring Daniel out and in swift judgment, they throw these evil rulers that were against him into the pit and justice is executed. And then Darius has learned and Darius has now commissioned in his kingdom and wherever he has influence, these words then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, the nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lion's den. He too has learned that a prayerless life is really a powerless life. That there's a greater king standing behind him in whom he will have to give an account to. And so it is my desire that we as a people at Calvary would be marked by our devotion our dependence on prayer, that our lives would be saturated in prayer. We have seen over the last year and a half, God meet us in our prayers. Have we not? As we prayed for 130 days, we've seen God answer prayer after prayer on the Thornton campus and providing for its needs. We've seen God answer prayers of benevolence in our community and for families. This same God of Daniel is the one who hears your 
prayers. And so we want to be marked as a praying community. Imagine if, if everyone who knew of Calvary Bible Church knew that's a people who are prayerful people. They're devoted to prayer, dependent, saturated in prayer. Now, this would be our prayer. This comes from 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, that they would seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their lands. We want to be people of prayer. Here's the last question. How do you pray then? If we're motivated to pray because we have a better picture of who God is and what God does, how do we pray? That's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to once again open up the scriptures and learn how is it that we pray as the people of God. I hope you'll join us. Father, I thank you that you are the God above all gods, that you are the Lord of all lords, that you are the King of all kings. And that you in your kindness have sent us your anointed one to reconcile us back to you. And being found in you, Father, you hear all our prayers in the name of your son, Jesus. That we have immediate access into your throne room. That we have immediate access into your presence to bring our requests and our needs before you. Father, I pray that you would help every single woman and man young and old, come to see who you are, the one who hears their prayers. Father, I pray that you would create in us a faith that seeks your face early in the morning, at midday, at the end of an exhausting day in the evening. Father, I pray that you would well up in us a devotion to prayer, that we would meet with you. And then Lord, would you do what only you can do, the transformational work that begins within us and that moves outside of us to transform our communities and our world. We thank you, Father, of who you are and that you hear us today. It's in the name of your beloved son that we pray. Amen.